Welcome to the Commune Podcast. This is Jeff Krasnow. Many of you may receive my weekly Sunday commuting article where I address a breadth of issues from the spiritual to the sociopolitical. And on occasion, I will also record an audio version of these articles and release it as a bonus episode. So today's podcast is derived from the article I wrote about the birth of Andine, my middle daughter. I'm not exactly sure what you call the act of simultaneously crying and laughing, but that's the state in which I wrote it. If you're interested in receiving my weekly article, sign up at onecommune.com. And if you're not totally sick of me, you can follow me on Instagram at Jeff Krasnow. So without further ado, here is this week's commuting entitled Be Ready. Skyler and I have been hitched at the hip for 32 years of otherworldly bliss, over three decades of polka dots and moonbeams. Do you want to know the secret? Sure you do. Don't tell anyone, but we have sex almost every day. Almost on Monday. Almost on Tuesday. Insert but um dum ching <laughs> This flaccid dad joke was Wayne Dyer's opening line for years. He admittedly nicked it from nutrition pioneer Jack LaLanne, who opened the first fitness gym in Oakland, California in 1936. Hence, I feel absolved for pilfering it here. Wayne was my first spiritual teacher. I met him once backstage when he lectured at Wanderlust in Lake Tahoe. After a frivolous chat about how nothing real ever changes, he reached out with his warm catcher's mitt of a hand and said, Jeff, stay close to the work and be ready. There's hard evidence that Skylar and I exceeded the almost at least three times. Skylar, who was herself born at home, never questioned where she wanted to birth our babies. We attended, i.e. she dragged me to, a workshop in Lower Manhattan led by Ina May Gaskin, the legendary author and midwife. Gaskin has delivered hundreds of babies at her midwifery clinic on the farm, an intentional community located in Summertown, Tennessee. Gaskin was a pioneer in re-envisioning birth as a natural process, or the most natural process of all, and cataloged a litany of medical interventions that can lead to complications in the hospital. Home birth is certainly not for everyone, but for better and worse, Skylar, like you, is not everyone. As a homebody, I was quite content to follow Skylar's lead, remaining snug in your jammies, avoiding the hailing of cabs mid-contraction, steeping rooibos in your own teapot. These comforts breed serenity, and minimizing stress is childbirth's friend. Our eldest daughter, Phoebe, was born in the guest room of her great-grandfather's house on the Connecticut shore. Like the cocktails, the day was dark and stormy. The grandparents numbed their imaginations with Meyer's rum as Skylar raucously labored in the adjoining room. After our little Leo emerged, the bluefish started jumping, and a rainbow arced over Long Island Sound. I'm not lying. The setting for the nativity of number two was considerably less bucolic. Undine was born in a basement in Brooklyn. It wasn't a dank, cement, bare-bulb type of cellar, 
but it wasn't exactly Gatsby either. We found a midwife named Kara, who lived on the Lower East Side. It wasn't far from our Williamsburg apartment as the crow, or in this case, the stork, flies, but it was a bit of a schlep on the subway. Kara was a former fashion model, and her office was riddled with dozens of framed photos of her former fabulousness. I found this distracting. Nevertheless, we felt quite confident in Kara's custody, and together, we hatched our birth plan. The doting husband assumes significant admin in a home birth. I mean, I'm not complaining. Despite the transformational experience women have as portals for new life, I wouldn't swap roles for all the tea in China. I doubt I could be so brave. Dutifully, I ordered the receiving blankets and drop cloths, the peroxide and the sponges. I froze the sanitary pads with dabs of witch hazel tincture. I rented the six-foot inflatable tub and jiggered a makeshift hose from the laundry room to fill it. I carried endless cauldrons of boiling water down the narrow stairwell to keep the tub at a balmy temperature. At game time, the primary expectation was that I win the Emmy for Best Supporting Role in a Drama, to fully be there, emotionally and physically, and to bravely wield the mighty mini-strainer, just in case any pushes yield buoyant brown nuggets in the tub. I didn't fancy this function so much. Our due date was in June. Coincidentally, Ricky Lake released her brilliant documentary on home birth, The Business of Being Born, at the Tribeca Film Festival in May. Kara was heavily featured in the film and reveled in the limelight of it all. I suppose we felt vaguely notable by association, but Kara, reliving her erstwhile stardom, became less available. It didn't really concern us. We were professionals. We'd been through this before. The morning arrived, Saturday, June 23rd. We were patient patients. When the contractions were consistently two minutes apart, I rang Kara. She'd be right over. I helped Skylar down the stairs and into the cellar. We had a big blue yoga ball, an inversion swing, a quasi-dance bar you could hang on, and, of course, the ersatz jacuzzi. It was like a mini-birthing Olympics. Our doula, Tanya, arrived, thankfully with bagels. My mum whisked Phoebe off to the Coney Island Mermaid Parade, and Skylar's mother and I balanced each other on a teeter-totter of nerves, busying ourselves. When in doubt, boil water. And Skylar, bless her soul, went to work. Matters were progressing slowly, like a low-scoring baseball game. In the top of the third inning, my phone chirped the opening riff of Ice Ice Baby, my ringtone for Kara. I picked up and she literally said, Are you sitting down? Kara wasn't coming. She had another client in Queens who had gone into labor a month early, and Kara felt, rightfully, that her situation was more pressing than ours. Few instances in life have ever tested my threshold of compassion like this call. As cortisol flooded the highways of my veins, my reptilian brain inwardly screamed, What about my fucking wife? Instead, I shakily scribbled down the number of Kara's backup, Miriam, and hung up. I briefly debated whether or not I should tell Skyler that her midwife was headed to another borough, as if eventually she might not notice. This reticence might reflect my ludicrous approach to psychological problem-solving. Sweep it under the rug and hope it will disappear. But, as casually as I could muster, 
I tossed the news down the stairs like a gently pitched cornhole beanbag. Skylar, well in the throes of it now, emphatically roared back, I don't give a shit. Next, I dialed Miriam, who picked up a scratchy line. I briefly painted the scene. She was chill and asked for directions, and in return, I solicited her whereabouts. She was in a car headed north on I-87 near Woodstock. For those of you not familiar with the geography of the Northeast, that is bloody far away from Brooklyn, two hours on the very best of days. Reality crashed over me and pinned me momentarily to the seafloor. As I surfaced, a steely resolve set in. I was going to deliver this baby. I suppose I could have rummaged through YouTube. Typing how to deliver a baby in the search box may scream of absurdity, but lo and behold, the platform is flush with turbaned hippies providing guidance. Instead, I calmly took off my clothes and got in the tub with her. I don't remember much of the next 90 minutes, just that evolutionary biology unwound. We became animals, moaning together, our intuition pulling us inexorably forward. Skylar was stunning, pushing with controlled ferocity, and returning to the breath. And finally, Skylar pierced me with her eyes and uttered, I can't do this. Of course, this meant that she was on the precipice of delivery. I cautiously slipped my hand between her legs and felt our baby crowning. I must admit, there was a part of me that wanted to push that dominion of cranium back up the birth canal. But instead, we braced for the next push and ding dong. Really? A commercial break with five seconds left in the game? Did I actually say, wait right here? I don't recall, but I trundled up the stairs like a wet retriever and swung the door open. There was Miriam. Somehow she knew exactly where to go. I trailed her, already loyal. She flipped open a mini valise of miscellany, a handheld Doppler, a fetoscope, clamped scissors to cut the umbilical cord, vitamin K, and pulled out a set of sterilized gloves. She motioned to me to kneel behind Skylar with my biceps underneath her armpits. She stepped into the tub, squatted down, and felt around. So fluent were her hands that she looked calmly up at the ceiling as she surveyed, and then, with a tender effortlessness, caught on Dean, our little wave, and placed her gently on my beloved's chest. A profound silence impregnated the room, the permeating hush of gratitude, the acknowledgement of the astonishing miracle of life. So transcendent was this moment of utter presence that quite astoundingly, Skylar, drunk with oxytocin, looked up at me and said, let's have another. And we did. Miriam delivered our third daughter as well, in the same cellar, in the same tub, with the same confidence and grace. We were humble in the preparations for Micah's birth, we actually took the time to meet the backup, just in case. Andine's birth story was a reminder of the certainty of uncertainty. Despite the best laid plans of mice and men, life is unpredictable. Anything can happen. Uncertainty is the nemesis of the conceptual mind. We seek control through knowing, and in the presence of unpredictability, 
It is too easy to succumb to fear. Our ability to reason, discern, and act ethically is debilitated in this state. Why do we meditate, practice yoga, breathe, and sit in silence? There are myriad reasons, one of which is to be able to witness fear and not become it, to understand it as a transitory phenomenon passing through your consciousness, moment by moment. Viktor Frankl wrote, Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. We practice to cultivate this sacred space within us. Over the course of our personhood, the unexpected will inevitably rear its head time and again. The unforeseeable colors not only our personal lives, our babies and relationships, jobs and projects, but also our global humanity. We are living in a time punctuated by uncertainty. It is increasingly difficult to distinguish between fact and fiction. We are careening toward an election, the outcome of which may not be revealed for some time. The institutions that have long provided stability are showing fissures of fragility. A new, somewhat confounding reality is being birthed, and the midwife may not show. But we must not accede to fear. We must commit to our daily practice such that we create the space between stimulus and response. This space will guide us towards right work and right action. Let me whisper to you the words of a wise man. Stay close to the work and be ready. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to share your story with me, I am here at jeffk at onecommune.com.